This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Last weekend, the Catholic Identity Conference was held in Pittsburgh. You've probably heard about it. Predictably, the diocese and the bishop in Pittsburgh made sure that every good Catholic knew the conference was not authorized by the diocese and that they, the diocese, formally recommended that every good Catholic stay far away from it. Now, for what reason? You know, they didn't really say, but it might have something to do with a fair number of the voices of the Catholic Recognize and Resist movement being in attendance, and especially because Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano was in attendance via Zoom or Skype. After the conference, Michael Matt of the Remnant newspaper and Remnant TV interviewed Archbishop Vigano and published a transcript of that interview on the Remnant's website. I highly recommend you read it in full, but I have for you here some of the questions that Mr. Matt asked the Archbishop. And Archbishop Vigano's answers because they really do provide a sense of what we've been witnessing in the church. And you actually get a synthesis of Vigano's letters over the past four years into one place, essentially. This is an interesting document to combine in light with the historic document that I uploaded this past Saturday morning for you. Time Magazine bragging of helping change the Catholic Church that they published immediately after the Second Vatican Council. It was an admission of the triumph for the modernists. For context for what much of Vigano is saying here, I highly recommend you watch that after this one. But for now, let's go down to Archbishop Vigano and Mr. Matt's conversation. The first question Mr. Matt asks is, quote, Many Catholics today believe that Holy Mother Church is suffering the worst crisis in history, surpassing even that of the Arian heresy. Do you believe this to be the case? End quote. This is perhaps the question for our times as Catholics, and it's worth noting here that the answer Vigano provides is almost a synthesis of four years of letter writing. Four years ago, in 2018, I started this podcast, only a couple of months before Vigano began writing his public letters in something that had to be providential. And for four years, I've been bringing the majority of his letters to you. And I've noticed over that time a sort of thesis emerging from Vigano about the state of the church one that goes well beyond concerns about liturgical abuse or the Ted McCarrick problem. So I'll show you in a few minutes. Vigano has been around for a while and witnessed the problems that have been simmering in the background of the life of the church for decades, well before Vatican II suddenly emerged. The council was merely just the triumphant party for the modernists. These problems exploded on the scene as if unleashed by Satan in a coordinated attack upon the faith. Vigano's answer to Mr. Matt's question is a synthesis that brings this problem to light. Let me know if this sounds familiar to you. Vigano's answer. I cannot say whether this crisis is the worst that the church will have to face between now and the end of time. Certainly, it is the worst to date, both for the devastating proportion of the apostasy and for the narcotization of the lower clergy and the faithful towards a hierarchy. On other occasions, the persecution was more ferocious. 
but it found resistance in the bishops and opposition in the Catholics, who could look to the See of Peter as a beacon of truth and an obstacle to the establishment of the kingdom of the Antichrist. Today, the Catacon has passed away, at least temporarily, and the Apostolic See is occupied by a declared enemy of the Church of Christ. Never in history have we witnessed a systematic betrayal of the faith, morals, liturgy, and ecclesiastical discipline, favored and even promoted by the supreme authority of the church itself, in the complicit silence of the hierarchy and in the uncritical acceptance of many of the clerics and the faithful. The gravity of this situation is increased by the fact that the work of disillusion of the embedded church advances in sync with the subversive action of the embedded state in the nations, causing the faithful Catholic to be the object of a double attack as faithful and as citizens. These two now indisputable realities have in common Satan's unquestionable hatred of Christ, of his church, of his holy law, of Christian civilization. This deception is so obvious that it can no longer be labeled as a wild theory. If we think about it, it is disturbing that the protagonists of this criminal plan, both in governments and in the church, come from that radical chic environment in which conciliar, quote-unquote, Catholic progressivism, pacifism, ecologism, the James Martin sin, and the whole repertoire of the ideological left was born and grew since the 60s. As I have already said, the individual bishops and the entire hierarchy of the recent decades will have to answer before God and history for their complicity in this crisis, indeed for having been, in some ways, inspirers and supporters of it, abdicating the role of the Church of Domine Gentium. End quote. It's a mouthful. I don't think most of us are capable of knowing the depths of the crisis in the Church. Most of us are just scratching the surface since the crisis looks different from the perspective of the clergy or of those who, with religious vows who are still somehow to, able to pay attention despite living in some variety of a cloistered life. And of course, from the laity's perspective, it can look different depending on, frankly, innumerable factors, including culture, including where you're, you're observing things from in your state and life. The phrase from Sister Lucia about the diabolic disorientation that has entered the church should be remembered here. We're all trying to navigate during this disorientation through this smoke of Satan. And the fact is that many of us found ourselves in some way or another resisting modernism in apostate Rome because it was the only rock of faith that we could find that made any sense. Now, with all that said, Mr. Matt asks the Archbishop a simple question to follow it, one that is logical, and I want to pose it to you. But don't resist modernist Rome because somehow it is personally profitable. Don't do it because it makes you feel good. Don't do it because it puffs you and your ego up. Taking the almost unthinkable step for a Catholic to say that the dictates coming out of Rome for the past few decades are to be, frankly, shunned is not a small step for a Catholic to take. You better have a good reason to do it. Mr. Matt's question is pretty straightforward here. Quote, what was it that convinced you to join the traditional Catholic counter-revolution? End quote. That is a good question for anyone watching this. What caused you, dear viewer, to walk away from the mindset of the Novus Ordo? And by that, I don't mean the New Mass either, since I know many of you still go to the New Mass for a variety of reasons. I mean the mindset of the Novus Ordo, or the ontological view of it, or the new theology and the new religion 
of it. Those words, novus and ordo, simply means new order. And after Vatican II, we get a clear new order in the church with a number of things taught in the conciliar documents that were a clear break from what came before in the history of the church. I know a lot of people have a hard time when those of us from this perspective say that. And if you're one of those, if you're skeptical of the claims in general, then I reviewed a book by a priest for the patrons of the channel called Time Bombs of the Second Vatican Council. The book costs like 50 cents from Angelus Press, and it's written by Father Franz Schmidberger of the Society of St. Pius X. It's a good, short introduction to the argument that Vatican II itself was the problem, not just its implementation. I highly recommend it. Anyway, Vigano's answer here hits really close to home for me. And keep in mind that Vigano is in his early 80s, so he witnessed the changes in the church happen as a young adult, likely in the seminary when it happened. Archbishop Vigano's answer to Mr. Matt's question is here, quote, What son would watch passively the humiliation of his mother, letting his servants expose her to infamy and vituperation, strip her of the triple crown and royal garments, steal her jewels and sell her goods, force her to live with thieves and uh, ladies who walk the night, even take away her royal title and abandon her to degradation? And what citizen of a glorious nation would let it be destroyed by traitorous rulers and corrupt officials without taking up arms to rise up? and returning it to the honor that it has taken from it. If this is valid in the order of nature, it is even more true and pressing when it comes to the Holy Church, assailed by enemies who strike at her, not only in temporal things, by putting up for auction churches, furnishings, and sacred items, as they have always done throughout history. But even in her supernatural goods, in the treasures in which the divine king has endowed her, for the sanctification of souls and the incorruptible riches of its doctrine and liturgy. Corrupt ministers exposed her to scandal, adulterated her teaching, dispersed her army, and demolished the walls that defended her from enemy incursions. The souls who, thanks to the church, were protected and accompanied in the earthly journey to eternity have been turned away and lost. Souls for whom our Lord shed his blood and whom his unfaithful ministers have abandoned and driven out the sacred enclosure. To stand by and watch the outrage of our Holy Mother Church is no less serious than having been among the crowd that witnessed the passion and crucifixion of our Lord, among the cries and spits of slayers, because we are children of God as we are children of the Church, which by the merits of Jesus Christ restores us in grace and makes us heirs of the kingdom of heaven. At the beginning, 60 years ago, it seemed that it was the Church herself after the tragic events of the Second World War and the horrors of dictatorships, that almost wanted to strip herself of her past in order to somehow attenuate the chasm between what had become the world and what remained of it. This dispossession appeared to be a gesture of indulgence for a society upset by revolutions and the end of the Catholic monarchies. On the wave of that democracy that we believed could be Christian, despite knowing well that its quote-unquote values were substantially opposed to the transcendent vision of the power proper to Catholic belief. Few of us in those years understood that the conciliar revolution would subvert the divine order, overthrow the cosmos by throwing the church into chaos, give space to heresy and demolish orthodoxy, and accept the replacement of virtue and honesty with the corruption of customs 
end quote. He sums up nicely what many of us have had a hard time putting to words there. And his answer is actually much longer than that. He goes on to describe how this got worse, turning into a contagion in the church in March of 2013, when Francis the Great Merciful ascended the throne of Peter, where the faith was turned onto its head. Again, it's worth reminding you that Vigano witnessed this change firsthand, unlike many of us who are of the generations, who came either after the council or were too young during the council to really even be aware that anything was going on. Vigano witnessed it, having been born in January of 1941. Vigano will turn 82 years old this coming January, and he has seen a lot of upheaval in the church. He would have been a young seminarian during the council, and frankly, all reports say that during the council, the seminaries were a total mess because a lot of the upheavals were put in place there first. Now, the last part of this interview I'll cover here is the question of obedience. There are a whole host of Catholic YouTubers whose arguments boil down to just obey, trad, just obey. It's the Catholic thing to do. Mr. Matt asked if he can know about obedience. Aren't we just to obey? Here's Mr. Matt's question. Quote, is it accurate to say that obedience as a natural rather than a theological virtue, must first and foremost be in the service of the faith, and that as such obeying our modernists in positions of authority could be sinful, end quote. Good question. I have always contended that we are to obey the faith first, not the human element of the church. For most Catholics in throughout most of the history of the church, the two actually weren't in conflict most of the time, but they obviously are now and have been for 60 years. Here's Vigano's response, quote, Obedience is a natural virtue opposed by disobedience, a failure of obedience, and servility, an excessive obedience. But obedience is not due to just anyone, but only to those who are constituted in authority and within the limits that legitimize the exercise of the same. In the church, obedience is ordered to its ultimate end, that is the salvation of souls in the unity of the Catholic faith. The authority is established to guard the faith cannot legislate against it precisely because it draws its power from the same source, that is, the supreme God and lawgiver, who cannot be in contradiction with himself. Obeying an illegitimate order to please those who exercise authority corrupts obedience, which is no longer obedience but servility. I would also like to point out that those who today demand blind, prompt, and absolute obedience from the faithful are the same who, when authority is exercised by the good, turn against it. Those who cancel the entire magisterium in the, same, in the name of the Second Vatican Council and the Synodal Path are the same ones who tear their garments before those who refuse to accept the permanent revolution of Amoris Laetitia and Traditionis Custodis. The problem, as we see, lies in the crisis of authority, which does not accept submission to the supreme authority of God, which it must do in first order to be legitimate, end quote. In other words, the authority in the church right now is not legitimate and hasn't been for some time. Mr. Matt immediately follows this up with an obvious question that is something we should all consider. And I'll close out this video and my coverage of this interview with this because I encourage you to read the whole thing for yourself. It's up on the Remnants website, or you can find a link to that in my show notes today at returntotradition.org, so you can read it for yourself. But here's the obvious follow-up question from Mr. Michael Matt. Quote, 
How do you respond, however, to those who note that Christ was obedient even unto death? And that is what we are called to do. End quote. Again, that is a good question. We are told to just obey no matter what. Shouldn't we just obey the man the world thinks is Pope even unto death, even unto spiritual death? Some Catholics act as if the highest dogma of the faith is blind obedience to human authority. Vigano dumps water on that assumption here. Quote, Our Lord did not obey the Sanhedrin, nor the high priests and the elders of the people, who warned him not to profess himself son of God, and who for this reason condemned him to death. Our Lord obeyed the Father in drinking to the dregs the bitter cup of the passion. Non sicut ego volo, sod sicut tua. This is the true virtue of obedience, because it follows the orders of earthly authority, only if this act for the purposes that legitimize it. Just as it was not legitimate for the Sanhedrin to question the divinity of Christ, but rather knowing the scriptures, they should have recognized in him the promised Messiah. So it is not legitimate for the hierarchy to demand obedience in matters that are opposed to faith or morals. We too, following the example of Christ and strengthened by the warning of St. Peter, repeat, we must obey God rather than men. See Acts chapter 5, verse 29. End quote. Mic drop. We must obey God rather than men. Anyone who can say, just obey, while the Vatican permits the German bishops, the Flemish bishops, and the various synods around the world to call for changes to Catholic morality on non-negotiable things, probably doesn't have the faith. They have faith in the human element, not in the faith itself, because if they did, they defend the faith from the maniacs pushing these changes, even if they sit on the throne of Peter. But that's enough for me for now. Like I said, I encourage you to read the full interview for yourself. So head over to either the Remnants website or to returntotradition.org to find the link in the show notes to read it for yourself, because there's a lot there, more there. This video could have been half an hour, 45 minutes long if I went over the whole thing. But let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. Like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. As a sharing this on social media, that helps enormously as well. Our posts at YouTube here, like it when you do that. As always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.